Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. It's Tuesday, October 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got a bunch of things to get to. We've got some retail, we've got dominoes. Let's start with the banks, just real quick, because for anyone worried about Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, I'm here to say, relax! They're, they're doing fine. They're going to make it. They're g- <laughs> we were worried that, given last week's drop in the market, that, gosh, maybe Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and the people running those two large financial institutions have forgotten how to make money. And I'm here to say, based on their latest quarterly results, they haven't. No, they have not forgotten how to make money. Uh, people have kind of forgotten that these places do make a lot of money. The stocks are all down uh, quite a bit this year, down around 20% uh, for the group reporting between BlackRock and uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, uh, 15 to 20%. And the rest of the market, up 5 8%, depending on exactly where we are the, the moment you're listening to this, because uh, it's moving around again today. Uh, so, it's kind of a time of at least perceived or expected transition for the heavyweight Wall Street uh, banks. Uh, there's fee compression, and that's a big part of why there is not that high level of enthusiasm for the stocks right now. They're, at least in the case of BlackRock and Morgan Stanley, uh, more profitable than ever. Uh, Goldman Sachs has been bouncing around a little bit further behind in, in adopting the uh, more passive uh, management approaches and, and a little bit more, I think, uh, skepticism about their business model at the moment. Is that what it is with BlackRock in particular? Because, I mean, if you say they're more profitable than ever, the stock's down, I don't know, three, four percent this morning. It's not, and to your point about the year that the this group has had, it's not like we've seen over the past month. We've seen stocks pull back from all time highs. That's not the case. Certainly, with BlackRock. No, they're making about thirty five dollars a share uh, over the last twelve months, and that's up from thirty dollars a share for the twelve months ending uh, last year, last December. So. Uh, decent improvement. That's you know uh, about 11, 12 percent improvement. And uh, the thing that appears to be worrying the market today regarding BlackRock uh, is that their institutional funds were down over the quarter, and they are very good at attracting uh, very very low uh, cost. Uh, funds uh, that is uh, um, invested in their low-cost uh, ETFs, and they're the market leader by far in that, and that's a good place to be, uh, but not a wildly profitable place to be. And uh, there's some concern, I suppose, that the institutional money uh, may be uh, looking elsewhere. Let's move on to Walmart, which is in the headlines for a couple of reasons. Walmart cut earnings guidance for 2019. That's largely due to the acquisition of Flipkart, which is the e-commerce business in India, which Walmart acquired, and that costs money. So, but Walmart had said they were going to be doing this. So this this 
cut in guidance is not really a surprise. Uh, they also announced a new partnership with Advance Auto Parts to sell products online and offer delivery. Um, Walmart shares are actually up slightly. Advance Auto Parts down a little bit. I'm I'm not entirely sure why that is because that's a on the surface that would seem like a great partnership for Advance Auto Parts. Um, I haven't seen the numbers on on how the deal breaks out. So I mean maybe this is an expensive deal in some way for Advance Auto Parts. Yeah, I think that's the interpretation that uh, Advance Auto is not getting some great deal here. I think that they uh, as being sort of the third player, a little, quite a bit behind, I would say, O'Reilly and AutoZone in terms of the success of their their model, uh, is getting a bit of a lifeline here. Um, that may be unfair to characterize them as, as lagging by that much, but I think uh, it isn't the case that they have uh, stolen, uh, you know, a great deal here, at least in the eyes of the market today, but. AutoZone is down more, uh, perhaps perceived uh, as having additional competition now and not being uh, the favored stock uh, by by Walmart. I think O'Reilly's um, doing well enough that there's not as much concern. It's not off that much today. That's certainly one of the advantages we've seen over the past 15, 20 years for these huge businesses like Walmart, like Costco. Where they are largely able to dictate terms to businesses that want to be partnering with them. Yeah, and and one other thing, I mean, as Advance Auto Parts is off a little bit today, but it's it's really right at its you know high for the year. They, these things have all bounced back after being way off uh, and sort of given up for dead uh, toward the middle of last year. When uh, Amazon made headlines for wanting to get more aggressively into the auto parts space, everything sold off uh, tremendously uh, and has been doing very well over the last, I would say, you know, since since bottoming out between um, the the summer and the fall last year, and our really advanced auto parts has has doubled off of its lows. So, uh, you know, the business is not as choppy as the stock price. And uh, they are, I think, uh, raising the floor uh, on how things look for them. Shares of Domino's are down about 5% this morning. Domino's seems like it has performed so well for so long as a business that now, when they come out with their quarterly report, they're sort of in that zone of. Wall Street analysts saying, we're looking for perfection. We don't know what numbers you're about to report, but ideally, we'd like to see perfection. And Domino's third quarter report was, on balance, really strong. Revenue up 22%, same store sales up nearly 5%. And yet, both of those were lower than Wall Street analysts were looking for, and we're seeing a little bit of a sell off. Yeah, I'd give it the report like an A, A minus grade. It's an awfully good report. Just looking up and down uh, everything, I guess it could be summed up by uh, I think that earnings per share were up around sixty-eight percent, something like that year over year. And uh, yet, that's not good enough. Why? Because same store sales were up uh, around six percent domestic. Uh, they were up eight percent last year, and company-owned same store sales were up 
4.9%. I think they were expected to be above 6%. So, you know, the same store sales are not compounding at 8 plus percent, but now 6%. International stores weren't growing as fast as that, but they're opening stores, they're buying back shares. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a thoroughly good report, and the stock can't go up every day. <laughs> Despite appearances, I, I suppose that's true. And certainly, there are plenty of not just pizza companies, but there are plenty of restaurants that would be doing handsprings if they got same store sales growth of in the neighborhood of five percent. Yeah, and so they're expanding their menu, and they're getting a little bit of inflation. So that part of the the growth is from just pricing, of course. Papa John's is a mess, and they're uh, doing well, I think, uh, in part because Papa John's is not at full strength at the moment in terms of, uh, I don't know, competent management or management which is not embroiled in lawsuits with previous management. That's that's Papa John's we're talking about. Uh, so, Domino's and others are, are getting a little bit of a tailwind from just uh, having its main competition be as distracted as they are at the moment. So, I was down at the gym in our building this morning. I was on the treadmill, ESPN was on, and at various points there were commercials for both Domino's and Papa John's. And I don't know why, but when the Papa John's commercial came on, the thought that popped into my head was, oh, they're sticking with the name. Like of course, if they were going to change the name, that that would be big news, and I would have heard about it. But just in the moment, I just thought, "Wow, okay, yeah." They're obviously they're no longer featuring John himself because he's no longer with the company, even though he remains the largest shareholder. But I thought, "Oh, they're yeah, they're sticking with that name. They're sticking with the branding for now." Yeah, um, and Domino's. They've the Domino's commercial is this one where they're repairing the roads. Apparently, there's. Have you seen this commercial? Oh where, yeah, yeah. Where, where apparently there's there's some epidemic in America, and the epidemic is Domino's delivery drivers hitting potholes, and the pizza goes flying, and we can't have that. So we're gonna. I mean, it's a clever ad where a Domino's branded <laughs> truck comes in and crew, and they fix the pothole. But really, are they? Is that is that happening a lot? Can I order? Because here's the thing: I'm not in, so interested in ordering Domino's pizza itself. But if there's a way that I could place an order to get some potholes uh, potholes filled in Alexandria, Virginia, that I'm, inter- I'm interested in. You know, I was in Boston and uh, speaking of potholes. Speaking of potholes, and I was around uh, some neighborhoods where the roads are maintained privately because I guess this is a Massachusetts thing. Some of the uh, local governments have gotten out of the business of actually maintaining the roads and leave it to the residents to repair their roads at whatever point they can all get together and agree to spend the money to repair it themselves. So me and everyone on my block, we just decide, like we pool our money and we say, "Great, let's order, let's order the Domino's pothole truck." Uh, or not, as as my, my experience was that people would rather drive over really, really, really awful roads, or just skip driving on their own road somehow, rather than pay the money to repair them. And so there may be a business opportunity for Domino's uh, in certain uh, localities in Massachusetts. It sounds like a business opportunity for 
O'Reilly and AutoZone and Advanced <laughs> Auto Parts because if cars are going to and trucks are going to wear out more quickly there, that sounds like a move for them. Uh, quick shout out to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Uh, this is not contrary to rumors, contrary to the scuttlebutt that you may have heard. This is not some one size fits all software. With industry specific support for a broad range of interests and businesses, NetSuite works the way your business works. Thousands of the best known brands and fastest growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. Again, don't listen to the rumors, don't listen to the, the you know, hit ads out there. Like political hit ads going after NetSuite. No, don't listen to that. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back, and it's free. You can save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone, and you can get the free guide entitled Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth at netsuite.com. There should be more non-political attack ads out there, don't you think? I'm totally in favor of that. I think I think that um, John Hodgman wrote about uh, some attack ads that he in in one of his books uh, that he would take out against his neighbors or you know fictional people, uh, uh, and I think that we need to explore that on the next uh, apropos of nothing. Attack ads that we would pay for. <laughs> like in a Kickstarter kind of way? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe so. All right, we can uh, we can mull that over. Um, sad note from the world of business, um, and that is the passing of Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft. And uh, all you have to do is look at the tributes that are pouring in, not just from the business world, but also from the political world and the world of sports, because Paul Allen. Owned the Seattle Seahawks. He owned the Portland Trailblazers. He was uh, also a philanthropist who donated billions of dollars to support the arts, health research, space exploration, protecting endangered species. Uh, gone far too soon at the age of 65, and uh, just a fascinating, just a fascinating life. As I, you know, as I read various things over the last 24 hours about Paul Allen. It was. It occurred to me that there was very little I knew about him, other than, oh yeah, he owns the Portland Trail Blazers, he owns the Seahawks, he co-founded Microsoft. Um, his interest in music uh, was fascinating to me. Um, that he was a guitarist, a guitar enthusiast. Um, uh, also, as we were chatting about right before uh, we started taping, uh, one of the tidbits I learned this morning was that. He he left Microsoft before it was public. Microsoft went public in 1986. Paul Allen left the company in 1983. And when he left, Bill Gates offered him five dollars a share for his stock. And Paul Allen countered, "I'll take ten dollars a share." And Bill Gates just said, "No, I'm not going to pay you ten dollars a share for your stock." And so. Paul Allen left the company, left the business. He stayed on the board of directors, but he left the business and he held on to all of his stock. And that proved to be a very good decision on his part. And Bill Gates is doing fine. <laughs> but it is interesting to wonder, and I wonder if at any point Bill Gates thought to himself, oh, 
maybe I should have just paid him the $10 a share. Maybe I should have figured out a way to scrounge up the money to pay him $10 a share. Um, because by the time Paul Allen divested uh, his Microsoft stock in the year 2000, it was to the tune of more than $8 billion. Yeah, I imagine that Bill Gates has had that thought go through his mind, or had that thought go through his mind long ago, and has long since gotten past it. Uh, but yes, as soon as the stock was twenty dollars a share or something like that, and given all the splits, I don't really know, you know, what exact amount split adjusted we would be talking about. Uh, I'm sure it occurred to him at some point that uh, that would have would have been a good thing to do, and then you know. Couple thousand percent later, maybe he got past it. Uh, I would hope so, because again, think, things have generally worked out for Bill Gates. But um, uh, just uh, Paul Allen, what a fascinating life! Yeah, in the public markets, I guess the thing that he was known for, and you can probably remember back when Charter Communications was uh, the thing that people were investing in a lot, based on his uh, association with and being head of it, and he. That never worked out the way people had hoped. Uh, who were investing alongside him there? Uh, I think he got out of it in 2009, maybe, uh, and reorganized. And um, but uh, he lost seven billion on that. Paul Allen, the Charter Communications. You know, he ended up doing um, in terms of all of his investments just fine. Uh, but uh, you know, it it. it it was one of those occasions where people were looking at somebody who had had the success he had had helping to start Microsoft. Surely that was a good person to invest alongside of regarding his next big thing. Didn't turn out that well uh, for them on that one. But otherwise, he, he had a lot of success uh, in charity work and uh, sports ownership and. What about the music? I don't know about his his music. Uh, apparently, he was very much a again a guitar enthusiast and um, uh, funded a museum in Seattle called the 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 EMP the Experience Music uh, Music Project, um, and yeah, donated a hundred million dollars uh, to fund that. So, and uh, I guess like at various points was able to, you know. Hang out with the Rolling Stones and jam with them, and you know one of the tributes uh, to Paul Allen over the last 24 hours was from uh, one of the members of Nirvana. Um, so he was, you know, it was it was not just oh I'm a rich guy who likes the guitar and I'm gonna you know donate some money so that I can hang out with the Rolling Stones. Like he was known as legitimately um, uh, someone who could actually play. Um, and in terms of sports, uh, you know a- anyone who's a fan of either the Portland Trailblazers or the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Knows what kind of owner he was, and it often is the case that we will look around. I mean, just think about whatever sport you're a fan of. You don't have to be a fan of football or basketball. If you're a fan of any sport, and you're aware of the varying levels of competence of team owners, then you know what it looks like when there's a team in the sport that you care about has a really bad owner, and it's just from the top down. That team ends up being terrible, and it really starts with the owner. And on the flip side, you you look at someone like Paul Allen, Seattle Seahawks won a Super Bowl, the Portland Trailblazers won the Western Conference title a couple of times, got to the NBA Finals, were in the playoffs more often than not when he was owning that team. So um, he was a, a great owner of those two teams. 
Um, before we wrap up, you just spent some time in Boston. You were at uh, a conference. Uh, one of those conferences that, because it's in Boston, it takes you less time to get to than the, I think the last time you were in here and going to a conference. You were going, where were you going? You were going somewhere outside of the United States, and it was it was a, a heck of a flight. I went to yeah around this time last year. I went to one in Dubai, but I was back. Uh, I was only there for about forty eight hours, so I got to spend more time on the ground in Boston than uh, Dubai, uh, which was nice. And it was despite the weather. A good trip. Uh, the conference itself was uh, on fixed income, so not uh, the single most riveting um, conference uh, agenda that uh, anybody has ever been to. More riveting now than it was a few years ago. Yes. Well, it was. Uh, uh, it is by fixed income standards an exciting time, you know, with uh, interest rates moving the way they have, and certainly while I was there, uh, there were some. Days where the fixed income movements, uh, the interest rate movements, were dominating uh, what was happening to stocks, and uh, you know we'll see how long that continues to be the case. Um, but and there there were differing uh, opinions on where interest rates are headed, uh, as there should be, because uh, it takes a number of opinions to make the market. But uh, there wasn't a panic that interest rates were going dramatically higher. I would I would sum it up that way, but general optimism. Uh, there was I would say general optimism that there would be more stability than a lot of people fear that uh, interest rates are still low in real terms and that there are more demographic reasons to expect that they will continue to be low uh, than than to move up. There were some that were. Thinking that interest rates were more likely to get down below two percent than to get up to four percent. Last question, and then I'll let you get back to work. Other than the conference, because obviously when you're at the conference, you're you're hard at work there. When you left the conference and you were out in the city of Boston, as a New York Yankees fan, was there ever a moment when you were outside where you did not see, you were not reminded? Of the Boston Red Sox visually, was there any point where you thought, "Wow, I've been walking around the city for ten minutes and I haven't seen a single person wearing a Red Sox hat or shirt, or I, you know, I haven't seen advertisements for the team at any point?" Yes, really, yeah, <laughs> I was able to tune all of that out and and focus on the work at hand. I don't doubt that while you're at the conference, you're focused on the work at hand. I'm saying when you're out exploring Boston, when you're going out to dinner, all that sort of thing, you're saying, "Wow, I'm here. The Boston Red Sox are in the American League Championship Series, and weirdly, I'm not seeing any reminder that this team exists. Actually, it was raining enough a lot of the time that I was there that people were just scurrying around under umbrellas and, and uh, jackets. And I don't know if the Red Sox make a lot of rain gear uh, that that people at least were wearing when I was seeing them. I, the thing that stuck out to me during my time walking around the streets was there was uh, I went past a rack of, of tourist, uh, you know, focused brochures. One of which was for Maine. And I thought I thought about you, and and the thing that I thought of, and I've never thought to ask before: your family were they are they are they lobstermen, or are they lighthouse keepers? I think if you're promoting Maine, you're 
definitely putting forward the idea that the majority of people in the state are working in one of those two professions. I think that's probably Are they true. not? They're not, weirdly. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, you could work at Pepperidge Farm as well, I suppose. Uh, I think you're thinking of L.L. Bean. Yeah, or L.L. Bean. There are four jobs. Well, and forestry. There's a lot of we got a lot of trees. Yeah, I haven't heard about that. Okay. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues by going to foolfunds.com and you can sign up for declaration. Join the 60,000 fellow investors who have signed up for declarations, the free monthly newsletter from Motley Fool Funds. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.